Spirit of God, help us. If you've gotten our attention already, keep it. If you haven't yet, if we've already been snoozing and dozing, get it. Because your word is living and active, and it is sharp, and it is life or death. You do not want to miss a single verse. It is that awesome, and we need it that much. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anything in your life um, that if anyone were to touch it or mess with it, if anyone were to tamper with this thing, oh no, just you did not. You have a th- anyone have a thing? You know when you're a child, it's usually that toy or that trinket. I know that's true with my three-year-old. You know, he, he just had a birthday and then he, I mean, he's got a new thing. And he sees sister coming. She's not even a foot. She's not even there yet, but he sees her eyes on it. And he's already like, "Mm," you know, (laughs) "Mm," you know, it's just, you know, when you're a child, it's usually a toy or a trinket. You know, you get a little bit older, um, you know, tweeny ages. It's, it's, it's like your, your hat or your shoes or I don't know, you know, you know, and then as you get older, maybe it's a guitar, maybe it's a surfboard, maybe it's a, a car or a relationship or, uh, you know, just think of something that you know is like, that's off limits and you don't want to touch, you don't want to mess with that. Not with me. You guys have something? Nobody has a treasure in their life. (laughs) I think there are treasures that we all have. You may have a hard time defining it right now. You might think you don't care about nothing, but there's, <laughs> well, it's not confession time. It's okay. You, keep it yourself. Just, just have that thing. Because what I want us to see tonight really is, because to the believer, I mean, earlier in the chapter, Acts chapter 19, this town did not treasure Christ. They treasured what? Their idols, their books, their philosophies, their pleasures, their passions, their, their ways. And then what happened? Paul came in whose treasure is Christ, and he preaches this treasure. And they realize that what they have treasured is not all that what it's cracked up to be, and they end up burning it. You saw that earlier in the chapter, right? See, a Christian, someone who's really reborn, if you're truly a Christian, Christ is your treasure. That's why Paul uses language like, whatever I thought once was gain, I counted all as loss. It's rubbish. Compared to the surpassing worth of what? Just knowing Christ. See, if you're a Christian, something's happened. You have different affections. There are different things that you long for and love. I never would have thought that the Bible, my Bible, my literal Bible, would have been a treasure to me. To the point where in college, the one year I was there, I lost it. And I, and I literally lost my Bible, and then I lost it literally. My friends were trying to help me find it, but I was edgy. They were making jokes, and I was pissed. They don't even joke, don't even go there. And I felt I had to apologize. But I never would have thought that I could, you know, I'm at training camp practicing, and I'm daydreaming about getting alone in my Bible. What happened? I have a new treasure. See, that's the Christian. A Christian, a regenerate Christian treasures Christ. Someone who's not regenerate, this is the second half of Acts chapter 19, like a Demetrius an idolater to Christ is a threat. 
If you're a Christian, Christ is your treasure. But if you're not, then he's a threat. Meaning, because we're going we're gonna to pick it up right at verse 18, verse 28. And we're seeing Demetrius and all these other um, businessmen. The first thing we're going to see about them is they get enraged. And they cry out. See, if you're, if you're really, really hearing the true gospel preached, the gospel, and Pastor Johnny did a great job last week of saying, you know, what does the gospel speak to this? What does the gospel say to that? The gospel is saying really, too, that Christ is all. He is really what your heart's longing for. He's worthy of worship, not great as Artemis. So what we're seeing here tonight is a war of worship. We're seeing, I mean, think about it. Paul and the, the Christians, they treasure Christ. They come to a city, a culture, a, a world that's filled with idolatry. We treasure all these other things and stuff. And then you're going to roll up in here preaching John 14, 6, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, the way. That Christ is all, Christ is everything. I mean, what do we expect to happen? What we're seeing, it's war. So let's pick it up at verse 28, because tonight we're seeing Christ. And the question I want to let linger, the devotional question I want you to ask yourself is, is Christ your treasure or, or is he a threat? Is Christ your treasure or is he a threat? Is this why you don't like what everything the Bible says? Because you don't want Jesus to touch that. Jesus, you could touch this, just don't touch that. But when Jesus comes, friends, brothers, sisters, he's Lord of all or not at all. He is treasure. And old Demetrius, we're going to start with him. If he would have only saw what Paul saw in Christ. Lord, help us. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, it says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's what Ephesus is doing. That's what Demetrius is doing. Where moth, rust, destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, lay yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We're going to get, Luke's going to give us a very clear, big picture of where Demetrius and these Ephesians' hearts are really at. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Verse 28. So when they heard this, Demetrius had the floor. Rewind of the tape a little bit more. The first 10 verses was the word of God was spreading. Right? Paul then came preaching, Christ, he's the one. God is holy, righteous, just. You, we, we're not. We're sinners. We are damned. We are under the wrath of God. We need a Savior. And this Jesus, he's the one. He's the perfect one, the sinless one. He came, he lived, he died. He rose, he ascended. He calls us to repent, trust him, have him. He's your treasure. This is what they were preaching. And many in the town were turning. They were turning to the Lord. And then Demetrius sees this and he's like, oh no. Right? Look at earlier. He says, he, this guy, Paul, he's preaching messages saying that, you know, these gods made with hands, they're not really gods. 
And he's trying to get the, get the guy, the businessman going like, dude, this is a problem. This gospel is a threat. It's going to take our idols. It's going to take our business. It's going to take our money. You see what's happening? They heard this. What is this? Clear, true gospel preaching. And when they heard this, they were, what's the word? Enraged. That's a strong word, brothers and sisters. It's it's a word. In our English Bible, it's one word. In the Greek, it's two words. It's pleres thumos. It's the first word is a, it's a full of. It's a full of. It's the same Greek word used to when they describe the saints to being filled with the Spirit. So the way Paul and the boys were just so filled, overflowing with Spirit, they were filled and overflowing with thumos, which is wrath, fury, rage, gnashing of teeth kind. This is not they're just like disturbed, like, oh, this guy's irritating. No, this message is infuriating. Why? You got to ask that question. Because you could read this and be like, geez, Demetrius, chill out. Like the clerk, Demetrius, calm down. Everyone knows that Artemis is going to still be Artemis here. Come on, this Christian thing is not really that big of a threat. But to Demetrius and those men, no, they were enraged. Why were they so hot-headed? Why was it such a big deal? Because true gospel preaching threatens idolatry. See, the gospel is going to touch something that Demetrius then were like, no, you ain't going to touch that. There's no way that they're enraged because Paul came preaching a fluffy gospel. If Paul came to town and preached just a feel-good, fluffy, partial gospel message, a gospel message that just tells you you're loved, a gospel message that doesn't talk about your sin, that doesn't talk about your idols being trash, that doesn't say stuff like, okay, you guys, okay, Ephesians, you see those little Artemises you have? Okay, yeah, give me, give me one of those. You see this? This was made by a human hand. You're to worship this? You made this. This isn't really worthy of worship. It's not really a God. And the Ephesians are like, oh, you're right. This really is nothing. And see, What's happening is that true gospel preaching is starting to now mess with the treasures of that city, the treasures of Demetrius. That's why he's so enraged. Do you see it? I want us to see, though, it's because Paul was faithful to preach the whole gospel. God, give us the courage and strength to do that as well. When the Word of God is completely shared, you will get different reactions. Repentance and realizing He's treasure or resistance. It's inevitable. By this time in the book of Acts, you should see this repeated so many times, right? But it's threatening this idolatry. And they are enraged. They're crying out. That word crying out is a crotzo. It's a crazy cry. I just wonder if there's anything in our hearts this evening. Just ask the, just really, like, let's talk straight about idolatry. Examine yourselves. Examine your hearts. Is there a reason why you shrink back from Bible study? Why you don't want to hear Bible study? Why you don't want to hear certain types of Bible studies? 
because there might be an idol in there that subconsciously you don't want Jesus to touch. And regardless of how true that statement is, Paul, that these little gods aren't gods, I just don't want to hear it. That's what Demetrius would have said. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, People will not endure sound doctrine. So I love Pastor Bob's message on Sunday. The elders must be devoted to sound doctrine. We've got to preach the whole truth, nothing but it. But there's going to be a time where cities like Ephesus and Honolulu, people don't want to hear that. Demetrius did not want to hear this. He's mad. Don't tell me my little God's not a God. Don't tell me this business isn't good for me. Don't tell me I can't do what I want to do. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. That's the spirit of the age. That's why hard teachings are hard. But it's, if it's true, don't you want to hear it? The truth hurts, amen. But that pain is worthy of that pain. What good is it to gain the world, lose your soul? Cut and gouge your eye and hand because eternity is at stake. I've been praying for us as a family at Nu'uanu that we would be a people that love true gospel preaching, sound doctrine, Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing, the hard and the good. We want the meat and the vegetables and the potatoes and the dessert. We want it all. We want the whole meal. You know what it says later when Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor of the Ephesian church, pastor of Ephesus? He's telling him, you keep preaching the word, Timothy, and you don't stop it. Even if people around you are, they can't endure it. They just want to gather teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. No. Preach it, Timothy. Preach the true gospel, the whole gospel. Is Christ your treasure or is he a threat? When Christ becomes your treasure, it's amazing what happens to your affections for the Bible, even the hard stuff. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me where I need to change because I am... I am fearful of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if there's anything I'm doing, the psalmist would say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. Is there anything in me that's grievous? I repent. Lead me in way everlasting. That's the heart of Paul. That's not the heart of Demetrius. Demetrius is, you can shove it, get it out of here. I don't want to hear it. Don't. He'll stop his ears because I don't want to hear it. That's the difference. An idolater, an idolater at heart, clings to the former treasures. It is his or her precious. Sexual morality is my precious. Being popular is my precious. This boy, this toy, this career, this job, this dollar, Demetrius does not want doctrine. He just wants a dollar. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. Let's keep going. So they are enraged. And they're crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. He gets this little chant going. Verse 29, we're going to read a chunk. So the city was filled with confusion. <laughs> That's so, the worship of this world is confusing. And they rush together. You see that? These are the movements of men. Just a lot of noise, 
and a lot of rushing. This is how movements happen. Just say something loud and long. Big frenzies going on, and they rush together, and they're in the theater, and, they, and then they drag Gaius and Aristarchus unjustly. We'll see even later the clerk calls them out on that. These guys didn't do anything wrong. See, the worship of this world, we're, we're starting to see some things. It's confusing. It's hasty. It's unjust. This is the way of the world. The Macedonians who were with Paul's companion travel, uh, companions in travel, verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in and someone brought it up in observation time, that's just so, man, what a guy, right? They're messing with my boys. I'm in there. But it's interesting that the disciples wouldn't let him. And then we see Paul submit. That's really, that's really cool. Paul didn't say, get out of my way. He just, the disciples said, hey. And then some of the Asiarchs, which are kind of officials in the land, higher-ups in the government. And they were Paul's friends. Look at how far the gospel had advanced. And he's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't go in there. Some of his friends sent him, and they were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, and some another. And for the assembly was, and Luke repeats it twice, just so much chaos. It's confusing. And then Luke notes, most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander from the Jews to put forward, and Alexander motioning with his hand, trying to get in there, wanting to make a defense, but when they recognized he was a Jew, for two hours they cried out with one voice, a people who have no real idea why they're there, they're confused for two hours shouting with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When I was in high school, I'll share one of the high schools I went to, McKinley, just at the time that I was there, it was just chronic with fights. Every week had a fight. And every week, every fight had a crowd, big crowd. But it's just interesting to watch. Like, I mean, I was there. I didn't want to miss one. But once you just see a crowd and a lot of noise, aren't you just drawn? You're just drawn. Um, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I haven't read any of the books. I've watched some of the movies. But I went with my buddies to watch the debut. I think that's what it's called. The, the, the showing, the opening night. I knew nothing about Harry Potter. But when I show up at opening night, the crowd was massive, and the people wore like robes, scars, Every other person had a wand, and I'm dressed like this, well, with, with, with a tank top. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like little, little kids cast, you know, and then, and then bigger, like college kids, you know, like back and forth. It was just wild. And it was just this huge atmosphere of a lot of just like Harry Potterness. And then I remember getting into my seat. I was in the back, and one of my buddies who was with me, I just, I was so taken in by just how into, it people were and it was kind of cool at first it was strange and then it kind of was just like this is kind of cool and i started getting curious um and, and so i asked my buddy i'm like hey man um who's like the bad guy of this movie and he's like i don't even know if i should say it and i'm like dude just who's the bad guy and he leans over he's like voldemort and i'm like what voldemort voldemort yeah he's, i'm like so i stood up in my seat this is during the preview. Like the, the movie didn't start yet. Everyone's just kind of in their seats. And I'm like, Voldemort must die. Everyone, 
yeah! You know, it was awesome. And I was like, Voldemort must die. And then people were joining me. They're like, Voldemort. And I was like, dude, this, I, I was glued to the movie. I was like, yeah, but what that taught me, I'm someone who knows nothing about Harry Potter. And just by the pure passion and volume of the crowd, I was swept up in that thing. I really was. And I was so convinced that Voldemort must die. Like, I was just so into it. Like, I really was. My emotions, everything was in it. But it taught me, it showed me how fickle a human being is. I am just so, we are so easily swept. Brothers, sisters, friends, I'm telling you, the culture are, is chanting things. The chants come through your phone, through the media, through the TV, through songs, through Hollywood, through all sorts of stuff. Your friends, it's on posters and walls, the chanting of the culture. I asked some of the young guys, what's a, what's a, what's a chant of the, and they're like, YOLO. I was like, okay, I'll break it down to you. You know, you, know, you only live once. And I was like, so what does that mean? You know, you just, you just do what you do, bro. Feels good, do it. You live once, just go for it. You know, yeah, you. It was like, okay, all right. But, but I, I mean, I wanted to understand. Because think of it. There's so much. What are the sayings of today? In that day, it was great as Artemis. And that was a thing. The whole town, great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. Hey, dun, 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 dun. You know, they were just going two hours straight. Now think, what are the chants of the culture today? And then I have a question. Are you swept up in it? Honestly, do you even know what it means? There are so many different chants that come and go. And they all kind of, they're chanting the same thing, that you are your own God. It goes, harkens all the way back to the garden. The snake says, you will be like God. To the Tower of Babel. Let's build a tower that just elevates us to God. This is the heart of idolatry. You, me, mine. This is why Demetrius is raging. Brothers, do not, do not conform to the chanting of the culture. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not conform to this world. Verse 1 says, by the mercies of God, I present Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, don't conform. You and I have no shot. We will conform. We will get swept up in the crowd, if not by the mercies of God. So when I say tonight, don't you conform to the chance of the culture, please understand, please understand that that's only possible by the mercy of God, by the grace of God. Paul was chanting the chant of the Jews at one time in his life. Demetrius is chanting the chant of the Ephesians. And whatever the chant of the culture is today or tomorrow, we are called to not conform, but be renewed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing it, See, no one in that crowd tested anything. They rushed in. And they just like, let's go. And then, great is army. No, but they didn't even know why they were there. That's totally our world right now. 
I hear little kids saying stuff. Because it, it's cute, it's clever, it's cool, and the world is chanting it. So kids just hop on in and start yelling it so passionately. There's a lot of chants going on in the city. Are you conformed? Or are we truly transformed by Christ who is our treasure? And I'll be honest with you, because in my sinful human natural self, I am a people pleaser. This is wide and narrow stuff. Christianity is narrow path. It's not popular. The world doesn't want to hear such a thing. And the only shot you and I have of not conforming, even in a church context, to not conform to the way other churches might do things because it's, it's, you know, uh, it's more philosophical or it's, it's a better way to actually get your word out or swell up a, a church, you know, like, but it's just outside of the Bible. Like, we got to be firm to not conform by the mercy and grace of God. Help us, please. Help us, please. Guys, we will stand in judgment one day. And you know, First John chapter 2, he says, the world and all of its desires, its pleasures, its passions, it's going to fade. Whatever the chant of today, it's going to be gone tomorrow. Come on, you know that. I know that. I can't keep up with the trends. By the time I finally understand what YOLO is, it's probably gone already. I don't even... <laughs> but the thing is, is we must not, we must not conform idolatry it's a it's a wild thing Isaiah says in chapter 44 you can read it on your own time but he says something very interesting he says those who are idolaters have deluded hearts they're led astray and they can't deny that what is in their hand is a lie Demetrius and the boys and the others who are chanting with probably their little Artemis dolls they couldn't get themselves to stop and think. That's actually verse 19. NIV says, no one stops and thinks. ESV says, nobody considers. If there's a loud chant, nobody will stop and think about what's being said. They'll just say it. Because everyone else is saying it. But see, the Christian is called to think, to stop, to be sober, to be critical, to be careful. Let's not just be passionate, guys. Proverbs 19.2 says, zeal without knowledge. It's dangerous. I'm all about passion. And I'm all about zeal. And I, I can't stand it when I lack fervor. But it must be based on knowledge. Knowledge of Christ. See, to the Christian, when we sing... We are singing passionately because we're actually rooted and buttressed and we know what those lyrics mean. But I don't know, maybe you sing passionately, you don't know what the lyrics mean. Maybe I'm going to encourage you. It's not just about being passionate about something. That's another chant of the world. Just be passionate about whatever you're passionate about. Just believe. Dot, dot, dot. Whatever you want to put. Just believe. Just be inspired. Whatever floats your boat. Just no. Zeal without knowledge. will kill you. Don't conform, but be transformed. Let's bring this text to a close, and we'll close out chapter 19. 
But I do want us to pause and really think for a bit because we all have idolatrous hearts. It's in our sinful nature. Calvin says in his Institutes that hearts, the human heart is an idol factory. You just make something and worship it. It's true. This is why we need regeneration. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Christianity is not about changing your behaviors. Christ's got to be everything. He's, he's got your heart and soul, your blood and guts. And that's all by the mercy and grace of God if that's you tonight. If you have any affection for Christ, that's all the mercy of God. And you will stand firm. He won't let you conform. Praise be to God. 35 to the end and we're done. So the town clerk gets in, he quiets the crowd, and he said, men of Ephesus, who's there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky, probably a meteor? Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and don't be rash. So he's either clerk, he comes in, he's just kind of assuring them, like, okay, don't worry, this Artemis is not going to go away tomorrow. And, and you know, you guys should kind of bring it down a notch. You're pretty loud. Be quiet. And don't be rash. In other words, he's saying you're being very rash. You make no sense right now. Verse 37. And you've brought these guys here. They're not blasphemers. They're, they're not, they didn't break the law. They're innocent. And if Demetrius and the boys, all these other businessmen, if they got a problem, the courts are open. The, we got pro-councils. We got governors. Bring them. Let's do this properly, orderly. We have a government in place. And then he dismisses the assembly. This is a neat little snippet here. And we've seen some in the past with Galileo and Acts. Um, some people in authorities where they actually did, they did good. You know, Jerish was right. The, the town clerk is not a believer. Obviously, he, he references to Artemis. But this is what we do see. Governing authority is being used by God. It's God's servant for our good. Romans 13, verse 1 through 4, it says this, let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. So the clerk's there. Why? Because God. That those that exist may be, have been instituted by God. Whoever resists the authority, see, authorities resist the God ha, who has who, uh, the God who has appointed it. And those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror of good conduct, but too bad. This is how governing authorities ought to be. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. He is God's servant for your good. And I think this is a stellar picture of the clerk doing that. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword. And I love that the clerk pointed out that these two guys that you dragged in here, they didn't do anything wrong. Let's sit in these two guys' shoes for a bit. You're being dragged into this amphitheater. Everyone's yelling, worshiping a false, a false god that you know is not worth. Can you imagine the emotions that they were feeling? Can you imagine? What if they were tempted to yell back, no, he's not. No, he's not. Great is Artemis. No, they didn't do any of that. They held it together. Praise God. He's God's servant, and God will use the government to carry out his wrath. Now, with that said, yes, governing authorities are going to be messed up. Why? Because they're led by humans. All humans are flawed. 
There's going to be no government authority on the planet that's perfect to the T. But while we're in this side of grace, God's using them as his servants. There may be a time when the governing authorities abuse their authority. And yes, we must practice civil disobedience. But for the most part, right here, Paul is mentioning in Romans 13, submit. Remember their God's authority. And then he goes on farther in Timothy. He writes Timothy a letter, the pastor of Ephesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he tells Timothy to do this for his governing authorities. First of all, I urge you, this is chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, I urge you to pray. Supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for all people, verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may, be, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What? Pray for the government? Why? To what end? That people would be saved. How does that work? If I pray for the governor, he's going to get up there and preach the gospel? No. What does he say? Pray for the governing authorities that we may lead a peaceful, dignified, godly life. Why? Because look at the, look at the riot right now in Ephesus. You think the Christians have a shot of having a solid gospel conversation in the midst of that chaos? No. All the Christians are zipped. But if the governing authorities, like the clerk, calms the town down, leads in such a way where there is a clear, calm, peaceful, quiet community, and you have a culture, a city, a town that has religious liberties, then we, the church, can have good, calm, clear gospel conversations, and people will hear Christ, and people will get saved. This I, and I struggle with this. This is one of my weak points. I don't pray for the governing authorities as much as I ought to. But now, while they're putting all their names and stuff on every fence, I've been praying all week for Tyler Dos Santos Tap because I see his sign everywhere. And I pray for Josh Green. And I pray for these people. I didn't even know what they're running for, but their names are out there. Their faces are out there. Why do I not just use that sign to pray? Why do I not pray for the chief? of the firefighters or the police chiefs or your bosses or anyone in high positions. But to what end, church? To what end that the Great Commission might carry on in this city? That's so awesome. The church ought to be a place that prays its knees off for presidents and governors and mayors and principals and bosses and coaches Anyone who has any kind of influence into the community. Why? Paul tells pastor of Ephesus that you would live peaceful, godly, dignified lives and that people would come to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. We are blessed thus far to have a land that is somewhat governed in a way where I can have a conversation with my neighbor and bring up Christ. So there was two fronts on this that I was really convicted about. One, do I even pray for our governing authorities? The Word of God says they're God's minister and servant. And then two, with the window of time we have, where we have the freedom to tell people of the greatest treasure within us, are we making the most of the opportunity? 
God help us. The gospel ministry continues on after this in this place. And God used that town clerk. Praise be to God. Pray, 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 pray. That we might be able to preach, 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 preach. And that in and through it all, we will persevere. Preach, pray, and pour your lives out. Christ is our treasure, is He not? I, and I'm, I'm going to close with this because the whole episode that we read tonight was a lot of action, but we didn't hear or hear a single thing from a Christian in this story, right? I mean, except Paul wanting to get in there, but the disciples says no. Because guys, you and I, we live in a culture that's chanting in a city that's full of idols. And I want us to see in this text, how did the Christians fight back? Did they riot? Did they fight riots with riots? Did they get violent? Let's finish with Paul's words to the Ephesian church and how to fight right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. I can't help but think Paul thinking of this riot. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. As he's writing this, can you imagine just reminiscing the chants? Great is Artemis. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Ephesian church, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, Put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given of the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up that shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Can you imagine? We didn't hear the Christians say a single thing, but I guarantee that when they were shouting for two hours, they were praying. Can you imagine that? The whole town shouting, great is Artemis. Two of your beloved brothers are getting dragged in. They might die. Paul wants to get in there. He's like, no, you shouldn't. He gets back. And what does he do? Well, then let's pray. Can you imagine Paul and the church on their knees for two hours? And then they hear the clerk get up. Pray in the Spirit at all times. In all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How do we fight? Because suit up, Nu'uanu. Put on your armor, child of God. It's a war of worship, and we live in a city and a culture that's chanting the names of false, little, itty-bitty, lowercase g gods that can't save anyone or anything from the day of judgment. 
What is that boy or that toy or that dollar or that career or that degree going to do for you when you stand at the judgment seat of God? Nothing. Nothing. That's why these idols, I don't need it. Christ is all. And how do we fight? We pray and we preach and we persevere. Let the culture chant as loud and as long as they think they can. Because in the end, when all is done, Christ is great. Great is the Lord worthy of praise. And we will sing that chant for eternity. Are we praying for the sake of the gospel in our city? It's a beautiful text. I pray that none of us here, none of us in our church, none of our children or our children's children will conform to the patterns of this world, the chants of this world, but be transformed. Preach, pray, and persevere. Let's pray. Thank you so much, King Jesus, for being worthy of our worship. We confess, all of us here, confess that we have had a different name in our soul, a different thing that we loved. We are so idolatrous. We cling to the things of this world as if it could do something for us. Help us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is transient, and what is unseen is eternal. As we sung earlier this evening, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, that the things of this world would grow dim. We have friends, we have family, we have loved ones that are chanting, that have a song, that have a soul jam that's just not true. Will we love them enough to tell them the truth? Father, give us hearts that treasure Christ. Help us in our prayer as a church. Perhaps we lack that. We need to learn to do that. We need to pray together. Get us praying together for our governing authorities and for our neighborhoods and our city. And help us to proclaim Christ clearly and faithfully. Oh, send forth your word, Lord. Oh, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see that Christ is everything and he is all and he is worthy. As we fellowship tonight, as we pray together, as we talk, have conversation. Spirit of God, take your word now and let it abide. Don't let us lose these things. If you, Holy Spirit, were prompting application, you were giving brothers and sisters ideas of how to respond to tonight's word, help us by the mercy of God to follow through. Don't let us conform anymore. Transform us, we pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen.